Okay, you're on. Awesome. Well, good evening from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and good morning to you uh, in Malaysia. Um, if, if there are any audio issues, please just put in the chat um, that you can't hear me. We'll try to figure something out, but um, I am using Wi-Fi and I'm in a room that doesn't always have the best uh, Wi-Fi connection. So if there are any issues, just put it in the chat there and um, I'll try to maybe switch rooms or something. Um, but um, it is good to um, be back with uh, you guys at IBCBI and just, um, I can't see really any of you. Your videos are all off, but I'm imagining your beautiful faces. Um, missing you guys. Um, our family's doing well. We're here in the U.S. Um, I was telling, telling Sam earlier, we've sort of uh, bounced around uh, the United States and each of the, the states here sort of handling the coronavirus uh, crisis a little bit differently. Um, and so um, we're doing fine. Um, by God's grace, uh, we've been here. We've been able to see our family and the kids are doing well. So um, we, we miss you guys. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, just pray again, and then um, we will we'll get into today's message. So let me go ahead and, and pray again. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do want to acknowledge that you are a good and gracious king. We want to worship you, and really our desire this morning uh, is simple. We want to lift your name high. We want to lift up your gospel. We want to know your gospel. We want to worship you because of what you've accomplished in the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that um, today, as a group of believers, that we would just be encouraged in the faith. Uh, Lord, it is in the sufficiency of your word that we want to put our confidence, Lord. We want to trust your word, that your word has power, that your word is what will sustain us. And so I pray that this morning, uh, it would be the word um, that is lifted up. It would be the word uh, that... Um, does not return void as we know it won't. And we pray that you would just help me um, to be faithful to your word and that we would all just be mutually edified and encouraged um, from today's uh, message and time in the word. So we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So over, over the course of the last few weeks, uh, it's my understanding that IBCBI has been working through its core values. And this has sort of been in an attempt to kind of outline uh, its confessional identity for the sake of the church's faithfulness, uh, really in the life of the church, but also um, for the church's faithfulness and its witness to Johor, uh, Malaysia, and, and to the ends of the earth. Um, it's, it's, it seems like uh, maybe a strange thing to go through core values every year um, at a church, um, but I think it's absolutely essential that uh, churches like this church and really any church, that they have a clear identity uh, that's really protected by biblical parameters. And really this is so that God is glorified in a church's faithfulness and, and also so that the outside world can see the clearest possible picture of the gospel. And really the core values uh, that we've been going through, they're, they're the essentials of the faith. Um, and if a church is divided on the essentials of the Christian faith that's once and for all delivered to the saints, then brothers and sisters, a church has no hope to stand. And so there's really nothing novel about IBCBI's core values. And I would, I would encourage all of you to, to go onto the website and read through them, return to them often. I, I would even encourage you to, to think about using them in discipleship discussion, either with your family or with friends. 
Um, and, and even for, for newcomers that are, that are searching for a church or maybe asking questions that you can, you can point them to the website and say, hey, this is what we believe. This is what unites us. And these, these values are, are so key in the life of a church. Um, and really, once again, they're not novel. These are the same statements of doctrine, statements of truth um, that really have been affirmed for 2,000 years of church history. So they're rock solid. And so for me this week, I've been tasked with preaching on the value concerning the biblical gospel. And I really like that IBCBI calls it the biblical gospel. And I hope that we, we can all agree that we would desire to believe and to proclaim a gospel that's biblical in this church. And so when I say biblical gospel, I think that might seem obvious to most of us. But friends, we live in a world that proclaims so many other gospels. There are so many messages out there that are trying to come to us in the guise of truth. There are messages that are looking to sort of sink into the affections of our hearts. And there are just so many messages that are vying for our souls. And there are messages that ultimately lead to a hopeless eternity apart from Jesus. And I think that maybe most of us can think of some of those explicit anti-Christian messages in our minds right now. Um, and believe me, there, there are many of those. But what I'm even more concerned about um, is that we're actually seeing false gospels disguising themselves in Christian garb, in Christian clothes. And we're even beginning to see many of these gospels start to creep into the church. And they're, they're deceptive gospels because they're using our terms. They're using the name of Jesus. They're using gospel. They're even using the Bible to lay claim to their lies. And so really this morning, I want us to spend some time answering this question. Uh, and the question is this, what is the biblical gospel? What is the biblical gospel? And I, and I want us to root our answer in the word of God. For some of us, hearing the biblical gospel, hearing these terms, it may, it may seem like review. And I think, praise God, because isn't it true that we need to be reminded afresh of the gospel every single day? Every single day we need the gospel. And then for, for others of us, as we unpack this biblical gospel today, we may find that we're actually operating upon some incorrect assumptions, some incorrect understandings about the gospel. And if that's the case, well, praise God for his patience and mercy towards us in getting the gospel right so that we can worship him in his fullness of understanding and truth. And so in answering this question, I want us to anchor our, our time today primarily in one passage of scripture, in one passage of scripture. And of course, we're going to supplement the core truths of this passage with some other, other scriptures that are going to really help clarify and expound our um, understanding of the gospel. And so I hope that this passage is going to help us walk away just more confident in our understanding of the gospel and really in our proclamation of the gospel. And so I want, I want you all to open up your Bibles. Please open up your Bibles. I want you to search the scriptures um, on your own. I want us to do this together. So if you have your phone, um, flip your Bible app open. If you have a physical copy, uh, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at those first four verses. So it would be 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And I'll give you a few moments just to, to flip there. So it's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Well, let me go ahead and read. 
Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Well, these verses, these, these verses come out of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And he's writing to uh, an ordinary sort of local church, like, like any church. Uh, but this particular church is riddled with all kinds of controversy. Uh, this church is surrounded by temptation. Um, it's susceptible to sort of drift at every turn. It's, it's located in a city that's renowned for its many cults and idols. Um, and it's in a city that's bustling in, in commerce and in Roman culture. And so Paul has great concern for this church. After all, it's, it's likely that Paul is the one who started this church. And so Paul has poured his life into the church and he's faced a ton of opposition in the process. And so Paul is writing this letter to them. He's, he's in another city and he's writing this letter upon hearing some disturbing reports about the state of the church. And so up to this point in the letter, chapter 15, Paul has responded uh, to what he's heard in these reports. He's heard about division in the church. He's heard about members abusing the Lord's Supper. He heard about incest involving a member in the church. He's heard about all kinds of other sexual immorality. And so here by chapter 15 in today's passage, Paul's already hammered the church pretty hard uh, regarding their drifts. And so it is in this particular passage that he wants to tie everything back to what um, one theologian said, is the horizon of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the grace of God, which is granted to believers. So in other words, Paul wants to bring everything back to the truth that Jesus is the crucified and risen Lord. And so it's from these verses that, that I hope that we can see the biblical gospel is good news. I want us to see that the biblical gospel is good news. And it's good news, and I'm going to give it in two points here. It's good news that is announced and responded to. It's good news that is announced and responded to. And then it's good news about a great rescue. So good news announced and responded to, and then good news about a great rescue. So let's start with that, that first point there, that the gospel is good news announced and responded to. It's often in, in Christian circles um, that we hear this word gospel. You hear it all the time in Christian circles, right? We hear it in conversation. We hear it in podcasts. We read it in books. We hear it in sermons, et cetera, et cetera. And like many, many of the, the words that we use, if we use them enough, if we repeat them enough, we're going to begin to lose the substance of the actual words themselves, right? We say words all the time over and over again, and we just sort of take for granted what it means. And so I fear that this word gospel is one of those frequently used terms in the church. And it's used so liberally or so freely that there's been sort of a great fog that's fallen over us about what it actually means. And can't we see the, the dilemma in this? I mean, if we, if we call ourselves Christians, then shouldn't we know why it is that we're Christian? or what makes us a Christian? Isn't, isn't this a crucial question to answer, especially when our lost friends 
come to us and they ask us, what is it that you believe? Well, if, if that's you today, if you're sort of confused about what this gospel thing even means, I wouldn't, beat, I wouldn't beat yourself up over it, okay? But I want you to press into that issue and really ask the Lord to firm this up for you. What is the biblical gospel? So look, look at verse one with me. Let's look at verse one. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. Now, this word gospel is used, it's used a number of different ways in the Greek Old Testament. So there's actually a Greek Old Testament. The, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but there's a Greek Old Testament, okay? And in the Greek Old Testament, we find this word evangelizo. Evangelizo means this. It means to proclaim the good news. Um, it's, it's another word for gospel, to proclaim the good news. And actually, it's used 23 times in the Old Testament. And in those 23 times, it's always used to announce or to herald the good news about something great that has happened. So this is the Old Testament, always used to announce good news about something great that has happened. Now, into the New Testament in the Greek, we see a word group for this term gospel. Um, we see it used as good news. We see it used as proclaim good news. And then we also see it used as the one who proclaims good news. And we see this 133 times in the, in the New Testament, and it's doing the exact same thing as the Old Testament. It's announcing and proclaiming good news of something great that has taken place, something amazing that has happened. And so we see this here in verse one. Paul reminds them of the gospel, the good news that he preached or proclaimed. And so the gospel is good news announced, good news announced, something great has happened. Uh, I, I picture the, the newsies of old. I don't, I don't know if you guys have an equivalent of, of a newsie in, in whatever country you guys grew up in, but the newsies of old in America, maybe in the 1950s or so, they, there were these guys that would stand on the street corners with newspapers and they would announce the news of something great that has taken place. Um, they would say, read all about it, read all about it, the war has ended, or read all about it, read all about it, My, our favorite football team has won the championship. They were heralding good news. Um, I used to live in Indonesia, and they, there, was a, there was like a car that would drive down the street with a big speaker, and it would just announce news. I don't know if it was good, because I didn't always understand it, but you know, similar type of um, idea, right? Just announcing news. Well, let's, let's look at verse one again. We see, we see that this good news is announced, but we also see that this good news is responded to, okay? Paul says, you received it. And we can see from the end of verse two, Paul's hoping that they responded in belief, saying, unless, he said, unless you believe this in vain. So he's hoping they responded in belief. So good news is announced, but it's, it's not good news at all if it isn't received, right? If you hear good news, but you don't receive it and, and do anything with it, or it doesn't produce a response or belief, it's, it's not really good news. And so, so far we know that the Bible reveals the gospel as good news announced about something great that has taken place. And we also see that the Bible implies that it's responded to by its hearers, either with belief or unbelief. But now I want us to really ask this question. What is the actual content of this good news? What's the content of this good news that we see in the Bible? 
So this brings us to our next point, that, that the biblical gospel, it's actually good news about a great rescue. It's good news about a great rescue. So in the Greek Old Testament, I'm going to refer to the Greek Old Testament again. You remember, we see, we see the use of that term evangelizo, or to proclaim the good news. And we see that used 23 times. Well, in, in general, it's used in the Old Testament to announce good news about a rescue or a, a deliverance or a salvation of a people who are in trouble. And typically, the people that are, that are being rescued are, are, or need to be rescued, um, they're, they're in, a, in a trouble or in a, a peril that's referring to the threat of attack or physical destruction from physical enemies. But what about in the New Testament? This is really, uh, we, we see something change here. What is it in the New Testament that requires people to be rescued? What are they rescued from? Well, in the New Testament, we begin to see this shift from the Bible speaking about enemies that pose physical threats to threats that are primarily from an enemy that is spiritual in nature. So look at verse three with me. Verse three says this, Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received. So Paul shows that he heard this gospel, he heard this good news announced, and that he too responded. And so what is this good news that he received? We'll read on. He says that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. And so it's here that we begin to see the content of this good news that Paul's talking about. It's an announcement about a rescuer. And this rescuer is Jesus, and he's rescuing people by dying for their sins. But we're really kind of barely scratching the surface if we stay here with this verse alone. We, we sort of need some more scriptural context to get to the bottom of this. And so the question has to be, well, why did Jesus have to die for sins? Well, if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, okay? Book of Genesis, beginning of the Old Testament, in chapter 3, okay? Remember, we have the first human beings, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They're, they're living in perfect harmony. They're basking in the blessings of God. There's no pain, no suffering. There's no coronavirus. They're in perfect bliss. They're glorifying God, their creator. And, and they're given, you guys remember, they're given instructions about God, um, by God, about what they're to do and what they are to eat. So remember, they were to worship God, right? They were to worship God and then enjoy everything in the garden God actually tells them they can eat from any tree, like anything they can find, eat it, except from one particular tree in the garden. He said, remember, he says, don't eat from that tree, okay, or you will die. So remember, the serpent comes along, Satan, he comes along and he, he tempts them. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but he tempts them by saying, you won't die if you eat from that tree, Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, God knows if you eat from that tree, you're going to be just like him. You're going to know good from evil. So what do they do? They, they take the fruit, they eat of the delicious fruit, and their eyes are open to this reality that they were forbidden to see. And then God, of course, he knows. He knows they did this. He's God. He's watching them. He asks them about it. Remember Eve? She blames the serpent. Adam, he asks Adam. Adam blames Eve. And then in this instance in the garden, we see the first act of disobedience that brings a curse of sin into the world. So then you remember God curses the serpent and then the entire created order is cursed as well because of Adam and Eve's sin. 
In Genesis 3.17, listen, listen to Adam. This is what he says. Um, this is what God says to Adam. God says this to Adam. He says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so it's at this very moment in scripture where we see the wrath of God or the punishment for sin is laid onto the entire human race. It touches every aspect of humanity. It eternally separates every person from their creator. And it ultimately ends in death. And so picture this beautiful, harmonious relationship between Adam and Eve, mankind with God. Imagine this sort of vertical picture, this vertical connection between God. It's cut off now. And there's no way to get back to him because the punishment is death. Well, a few months ago, I was, I was in Arizona with my family. Um, and we don't worry, we were social distancing here. It's pretty easy to social distance in Arizona. It's, there's just nature everywhere. Um, but my family and I, we wanted to, to go up to the Grand Canyon. If you guys have heard of the Grand Canyon, it's one of the wonders of the world. Um, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And I've seen it so many times in my life, so many times in my life. And each and every time I see it, it it's almost like I'm seeing it for the first time again. I'm always just floored by the size and the scale of the canyon. My mouth drops. I mean, really as far as the eye can see in every direction, just this massive expanse. Um, but every time I see it, what stands out to me the most is this giant chasm that lays between me standing on the edge of the South Rim, usually on the South Rim there, and then the edge of the North Rim. There's this giant space in between me and the North Rim. And that's actually 16 kilometers of wide open space, 16 kilometers. And if you were to drive there, you'd have to drive 346 kilometers to get to the other side. So that's like a five hour drive just to get to the North Rim. And of course, one, one can attempt to hike it from rim to rim, but it's impossible to jump across it. It's impossible to construct a bridge long enough to sort of expedite the process to reach the other side. Well, friends, get this picture in your head. Because of sin, because of sin, our separation from God is a chasm that can never be bridged. It's, it's a gap that eternally su surpasses the size and the length of that gap between the two rims of the Grand Canyon. There's just no way to make it across. And even worse is that that separation, that chasm between us and God, it actually warrants or deserves God's wrath and punishment. Our, our stain and corruption from sin, it's, it's not merely a few bad deeds that can be dusted up or, or like a few mistakes here or there. I did this bad thing, I, I can fix it. Tim Keller, he's a, he's a pastor, theologian in New York. He says this, he says that the human problems that we see playing out around us, these are ultimately symptoms. The bad deeds, the, the bad things people do, these are ultimately symptoms. And our separation from God is actually the cause. And so, friends, that, that connection that we had with God in the garden, that harmonious, vertical sort of connection with God, it's cut off. And then because of that, we have problems now here in the horizontal. So cut off at the vertical, horizontal, we have problems now. Friends, sin is 
is embedded in the very fabric of our psychology. It alienates us from ourselves, our former perfect image-bearing nature. It alienates us from, from others relationally. We, we're fallen in our hearts and we're fallen in our minds. And so that, that means that, that even every decision that we make is corrupted by, by the stain of sin. Even, even the best decisions that we make are imperfect. Hear this, hear this from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says this in chapter 64, 6. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Paul also reminds us of something like this in Romans 3. He, Paul's actually quoting in this verse from Psalm, from Psalm 14, which says that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And so, so to sum it up, we are infinitely imperfect and unrighteous. We're spiritually dead. And if God is infinitely perfect and holy and just, that means that, that he must punish sin. And so Romans, Romans 1.18, Romans 1.18, this is a, a, another uh, section, another um, part that Paul writes here. Romans 1.18 tells us that, says this, it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So if, if none are righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God and his wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness, well, then that means that we too stand under his just wrath. There's, there's no hope for us unless there's a divine rescue of some sort, a rescue that can actually bridge that eternal gap, bringing us back into right relationship with God. Friends, our, our passage today, our text today, it gives us that good news about a great rescue by a great rescuer. Let's read all of verse three here. Read all of verse three in our passage and then all of verse four. And then let us, let's just worship our great God of mercy as we're reading this. Verse three says, Paul says, for I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul wants, Paul wants these Corinthian believers to know that this gospel that they received, it's the good news about a God that sent a, his perfect son to live a perfect sinless life and then to give his life in their place, taking the sins upon himself, their sins, and then receiving the full wrath of God in their place in order to secure their salvation. And so we see, we see Paul phrase this in various ways in other, others of his writings. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Or Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Isn't this, isn't this amazing? This is just absolutely amazing, guys. And it, and it gets even better. Paul, Paul confidently banks this good news in the scriptures that came well before the death of Jesus. Notice Paul say in verses three and four in our passage, he says that these things happened in accordance to the scriptures. 
And I, I, I like to think that Paul was maybe thinking about when he says, accordance to the scriptures, he's, he might be thinking of Isaiah 53, 5. Remember that passage where Isaiah prophetically points forward to the one who was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Maybe, maybe Paul's thinking of a few verses later in 53 verses 12, where Isaiah says that he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors or he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Friends, this good news about this rescue by Jesus, it is amazing news, but it doesn't just stop at death. It doesn't just stop at him dying for our sins. Verse four in our passage says that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day. So death, death couldn't stop this rescuer. If Jesus just died for our sins and then it ended there, it wouldn't be a sufficient, he wouldn't be a sufficient savior. He'd just be another man. But forgiveness of sin, it had to be secured through death and resurrection of a spotless, perfect, divine sacrifice. His death accomplished a great exchange, right? His righteousness for a sinner's unrighteousness. And his resurrection speaks of a power to conquer death. He restores and reconciles sinful man back into right relationship with God by ridding them of the curse of death. He makes them alive again. So remember that vertical image that I was saying between Adam and Eve and God, between us and God in the, in the garden. It's restored now. So imagine, imagine that chasm of the Grand Canyon I was speaking about. The chasm sort of representing our separation from God because of sin. Well, in the gospel, Jesus becomes the bridge back to God across that eternal gap. And even better, Jesus actually becomes not only the bridge, but he becomes the vehicle that carries us across the bridge. He sees us hopeless. He sees us spiritually dead right there at the edge of the south rim of that canyon. And he makes us alive again. He comes across, he picks us up, and then he carries us across to the other side back into a restored relationship with God again. What glorious news this is. This is the good news of a rescue, a great rescue by a great rescuer. And so friends, the question has to be, if that is the good news, the best news, what are, what are we to do with all of this? What do we do with it now? Well, if the weight of this truth, if the weight of these truths of the gospel the biblical gospel, if this is convicting your heart in ways that maybe you've never experienced, well, friends, this, this really is the best news that you're ever going to hear in this world. There's a ton of bad news out there, right? I mean, goodness gracious, I don't even want to, I got Twitter open. I'm seeing the news every day. It's depressing. I, I, I'm watching obviously in America, but I'm sure it's not any better anywhere else in the world. There's bad news. This good news is the best news that you'll ever hear in this world. And friends, it's, an, it's a news that's worth responding to. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So if you're convicted today of this gospel, of this good news, well, today is the day of salvation for you. Turn from your sins, confess, repent, and believe upon this gospel. 
Believe by faith alone in Christ alone, and you will be restored and reconciled back with your creator. And friends, if this is good news that you've heard before a ton of times, well, praise God. I hope that it falls afresh on your heart again today as just a reminder of the glorious grace of the gospel that you received without any merit, without deserving it. We didn't do anything to get this. It was a great God who accomplished this for you. Let me leave us with this glorious reminder. I, I don't want us to miss this. Paul actually, he, he, he sort of wraps it up for us really nice here in another letter that he writes to the same church. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. And listen to this. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This gospel is good news that was announced to us about a rescue that took place through the finished work of Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's this good news that has now been entrusted to us as a ministry of reconciliation. We are now called ambassadors. We're representatives for Christ. We've received this news, we've responded, and we have this ministry. So that means that we've, we've been tasked with the ministry of announcing this gospel to the lost around us. And so that means wherever we are. For me right now, it means Oklahoma City. For y'all, it means Johor, Malaysia. It means for some of us to the ends of the earth, to a world that, that by and large has not heard this good news. Friends, God wants to make his appeal to the lost. He wants to do that through us. That means he wants to use us to accomplish his salvation to the lost around us. That's amazing. I mean, if God saved me, God saved me, made himself known to me. And if it, the gospel was announced to me, a sinner, undeserving, and if he saved you, sinners, undeserving, why would he not desire to do the same for others? And so if this, if this is the best news that we have ever heard, then let us go tell it. Let us go tell it courageously at whatever cost. Let us, let us not withhold the gospel from those who have yet to taste of this grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so privileged to hear the gospel each and every day. And Lord, I just pray that um, for all of us, that we would be reminded that um, we need this gospel every single day. Even, even those of us that are in Christ and love Jesus, we need this gospel every day. I pray that we remind ourselves of it.
worries and anxieties. And we need the good news of the gospel. We need to know that Christ, that he bore our pain and suffering, that he took our trials upon himself, that he suffered in our place, and that he, uh, he paid the price for our sins, and he saved us, and he reconciled us to God again through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we want to believe that wholeheartedly. Let it encourage us today. Thank you for um, who you are. Thank you for this passage in the word. And we just pray that we would go out into um, our, our workplaces, our, our neighborhood, our community with courage to proclaim of the gospel and to look for opportunities to uh, be light in a world that desperately needs to know you. We pray for these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.